Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 148. Let's be honest, it's awkward and confusing, and often it's discouraging. What am I talking about? Getting sponsorships. Yep, we are going there. What do you do when you need help funding for an event or a business venture? Who do you call? What do you even say? For serial entrepreneur Brandis Daniel, no is not the end of negotiations, and I cannot wait for you to hear about the story of what she did when she heard five no's in a row. It's only the beginning. Today, as the CEO of Harlem's Fashion Row and co-founder of the Great Girlfriends podcast, Brandis brings that same passion and determination to her businesses as she strives each day to connect people to their own passions and purpose. Brandis has secured over $2 million for events. She's been featured in New York Times and Forbes, The Washington Post, Teen Vogue, and so much more. Harlem's Fashion Row is partnered with Verizon, Prudential, Pandora, Target, CoverGirl, Nissan, Macy's, and more. And today, Brandis is going to teach us how we can secure sponsorships of our own. Today's show is just filled with so much vigor and so much passion, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Brandis. You can access the show notes for today's show at jennacutcherblog.com slash Brandis, where you can connect with her, her podcast, her story, even more. I am so thrilled to give you this content, and I'm so excited for you guys to laugh along with us as we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Without further ado, welcome Brandis to the show. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. 
This episode of Gold Digger is brought to you by Lola, 100% organic feminine products that make your time of the month a little bit easier. For 40% off your first order, visit mylola.com and enter Gold Digger when you subscribe. All right, guys, this guest fires me up. I wish I was recording our whole conversation pre because I just can feel her energy through the screen. So can you first, I just want to say, hey. Hey, sister. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, and let's dive on into your journey and what you do and who you are and all of the things that made me beg you to come on this show. Oh, really? <laughs> I will plead. <laughs> so, so there was a once a little girl named Brandis. No, <laughs> I am Brandis Daniel and... I think like over everything, I'm a Southern girl. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, live in New York now. Been in New York for I think 13 or 14 years. I'm losing track of time. But I love New York City. But the South is really in my heart. I love most of the Southern ways. And I started a company, Harlem's Fashion Row, when I moved to New York about two years after I moved to New York. And that has been... Probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. Through that company, I found my calling, my purpose. And it's been just this incredible journey of super highs and super lows. <laughs> but the thing that has really kept me on this journey is always remembering my why. And for me, that is to increase the number of multicultural designers within the fashion industry. Right now, the numbers are dismal. Mm-hmm. And so it's really been my call to do something about that so that the next generation won't look around and there's only, you know, five African-American and Latina designers that are in major stores or, or that are in the market in a major way. I love that. And I love that passion. I think as entrepreneurs, everything goes back to the why. And so what is it about Harlem Fashion Row that captured you, that inspired you to be the person to make it happen? Because I think a lot of times we see gaps and needs, but we don't believe that we're the one to fill them. Well, you know, I think sometimes it's great when you don't see the whole picture and I didn't see the entire picture. So (laughs) I was actually working as a production manager for Intimate Apparel Company and I worked in the Victoria's Secret account. Uh, I really liked my job quite a bit, got a chance to travel internationally a lot and really fell in love with Asia. So I liked my job. I love, you know, I love what I was doing, but I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my purpose. And so I went to a fashion show in Brooklyn. I was living in Harlem at the time. And I'm at that show and a thought just hit me, Brandis, you should do this in Harlem. And I had been in Harlem for a couple of years and I had never seen a fashion show done in a way that I felt could compete with New York Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. And so I just started planning. One of the things <laughs> that I had done right at the moment was I thought I wanted to own a boutique. So I was volunteering at a boutique, a really nice, amazing luxury boutique in Harlem at the time. And so he was the first, the owner was the first person I asked to be in this fashion show. And he said, yes. And so I was kind of able to leverage that one brand to get the other ones to come on board after asking them about five to 10 times. 
But that was really the start of it. And then while I was planning it, I was kind of journaling the entire time. And I knew that this was bigger than just a fashion show. And I knew that it was bigger than Brandis. And I was like, I don't understand what this is, but I don't know if I've ever felt so passionate about anything in my entire life. And I think when you have a thought or an idea or something that comes into your heart that you feel really pulled to do, you don't always see the full picture, but you just have to kind of follow that because it'll be re- like sometimes it's not meant for you to see the full picture. Because if mm-hmm. I had the full picture, it would have scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes if you can see what you're getting into, you probably wouldn't have gotten into it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, what were the logistics? I can't even imagine knowing where to begin. Like, how did you plan something of this magnitude and figure out, like, how you got the money? A lot of back end details. What was that like? Because I can't imagine it was anything easy. I'm just sitting over here shaking my head because sometimes (laughs) (laughs) sometimes ignorance is bliss. Yes. And I had never planned an event from start to finish ever. But (laughs) I knew what it was like to execute. Like I come from a family of go-getters. And so I kind of knew like the parts and pieces that I would need to make this happen. I had been a part of planning fashion shows, but I had never done one myself. Mm -hmm. And I would just, everybody I would see that I thought could add value to this experience, I would share my vision. They would hear my passion. And I would say, I don't have any money, but I understand that this is going to be a huge idea. If you could just feel that and trust that, please come on board and help me make this happen. And so I had a team of about 20 volunteers for that first event. Wow. Strangers. All of these people were strangers that I didn't know. <laughs> oh, I think that says so much about your personality. That is amazing. So, so I, you know, but people kind of, I think when you're kind of talking about something Jenna, I can feel your passion for what you do through your podcast, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's even what draws me to you is like, I know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and other people mm-hmm. can feel it too. And if you're talking to someone about something that you're very passionate about and you don't try to hold back or censor that, people will feel it and they'll want to come on board to help. Amazing. That is like the perfect sound bite. I'm like, that is what the world needs to hear. Like, when you see somebody come fully alive, even if you're not even remotely interested in what they're excited about, I think it inspires you to come more alive in what you want to do too. Absolutely. 1000. Okay. So, how did this? So, you're asking these strangers, you get a team of 20, then what happens? So I decide that I need to be in touch with them every week so that we can move this process forward. A lot of them had worked with the fashion show before. So I'm very honest. When I don't know something, I say, I don't know how to do this. And so mm-hmm. I told them what I knew how to do, what I didn't know how to do. And people were just kind of filling the gaps. Oh, I know someone who does graphics. Oh, I know someone who does this. You know, there were only very few places that I ran into where no one had any answers about it. But for the <laughs> most part, someone said, oh, I know someone who does lighting. You know, there's a girl who I think would be great as a makeup artist or as a hairstylist. And so the way that I kind of kept everyone engaged was that I cooked breakfast every Saturday morning. And Mm -hmm. I invited them to my house every Saturday for a meeting. 
And so every Saturday up until the point at which the show happened, which, by the way, I got the idea in May of 2007 and the event was happening in August of 2007 again. Oh, my God. I didn't know it better. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel like my heart just dropped. I didn't know any better. I think, honestly, when you don't know any better, sometimes it is the best place to be because uh-huh. you'll do things that you have no idea in quotes, aren't possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, so these volunteers helped me and I used my own money to fund it. The first one, because I didn't know like how to get funding for it. And I sold tickets to the event. I called in like different people who I thought would be great assets to partner with. So two nonprofit organizations, because that helped me get their audience as well. I pulled mm-hmm. in a dance group who had a really nice following in New York. He was actually a neighbor of mine when I first moved to New York. I pulled in a cigar roller who rolled cigars in the patio. He had just opened a cigar shop in Harlem and I used to go there quite often. And so he and I developed a relationship. Like everything was basically like, okay, I think that 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 would work. Okay. <laughs> so I was just kind of pulling in all these different places to kind of pull this big event together that actually ended up being really amazing. The very first one. Tell me about that feeling of being at the event that you planned in just a few months time. Well, first I have to say this, Jenna, it was not perfect. The runway was actually, so I have to, I don't want to paint like too great of a picture. (laughs) (laughs) The runway was actually wet. Like the doors were supposed to open at seven, at 7 PM. The runway was like still wet, still had paint on it. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) So at that part of the event, I was literally in tears. Someone said, you know what? Just keep the doors locked. No one has to see what's going on. And actually a line is going to form and it's going to make the event look more hot. There you go. That's exactly what we did. And it worked. (sighs) But after the entire thing was over, I can still remember that feeling like I wish I could bottle it up because I'd be able to sell it for quite a bit. It was (laughs) the most incredible experience, the most incredible feeling to like see an idea come to life. It just felt like I had done something I didn't even know was possible for me to do. You know, it was like I was literally standing in the middle of a miracle. That's the best way to describe it. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Oh, girl. Okay. So one thing that I think is just so fascinating and I'm so excited to hear from you about is you, my friend, are a sponsorship guru. You have obtained over $2 million in sponsorships from big names like Target and Macy's. So let's talk about what your journey looked like after that first show when you knew you wanted to keep going and and kind of how sponsors played a role in that and how you got into that world. So the very first event, I knew about sponsors. I actually built a sponsorship PowerPoint the very first time out. It was horrible. Like, I mean, it's so bad. <laughs> the graphics were like skewed. It was just horrendous. And now I'm like obsessed with graphics. But then I had no idea like what graphics were and, and like how the aesthetics of something really mattered. And so anyway, it was a mess. The whole thing was just terrible, the deck. But I was like, you know, I'm going to send this out to some people. And believe it or not, I actually got a sponsorship meeting with Vibe Magazine 
because I met this guy, he was speaking at an event and mm-hmm. he was, I can't remember his, his role or his title, but he worked in marketing for the magazine and I emailed him. He never emailed me back. And I said, you know, I have to find a way to get his attention. And so mm-hmm. there's a catering company in New York that my company would order from quite often. And I knew their breakfasts were maybe like $130. It wasn't, wasn't much. And so I decided I would order breakfast for him and his entire team and have it delivered to them. Oh my gosh. And so that was how I got his attention. His assistant called me that same day and said, we receive your breakfast. We want to meet with you ASAP. When can you come over? Oh my gosh, Brandis, that is like, like gutsy and incredible. And so like, I don't know. I mean, how did you even come up with that? I, I don't know. I well, I had to do something, you know, like I had sent four or five emails. It wasn't working. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. And I didn't have like a plan B. He was the only person I knew. That I feel like most people would have given up. So I kind of love that you did that and you went the extra mile. You have to, like, I don't think that, I don't think there's anything in life you can do successfully without going the extra mile, but in sponsorships, Mm -hmm. it's absolutely required. So what happened? What came of this after the meeting or what was the meeting like? Was he like, thanks for the breakfast? Who are you? They were so (laughs) grateful for the breakfast. We had a great meeting. He said, let me help you with this. Now, Jenna, you're not going to believe this part because sometimes <laughs> I can't believe it either. So he actually had a brand that was interested. And so the way that sometimes sponsorships work is you don't always have to go directly to a target or, you know, directly to a gap. You can go to an agency or a magazine that already has either that company as a client or if it's a magazine, they already have a media budget from that client. And mm-hmm. so that was the way that this sponsorship deal was going to work. But the challenge was that it was a beer company, I believe. And they wanted to build out an entire, they wanted to basically take over the entire runway and have it branded with this beer company. And though I had never done an event before, I knew where I wanted to take Harlem's Fashion Row. Mm -hmm. And so I said, this just doesn't align with where I see us going in the future. And so I actually turned down $3,000 the very first go because it just didn't feel like a good fit for me. So then what did the future look like for that? Because I think so many people when they're starting to work with brands or wanting to be sponsored or do sponsored posts, it's so tempting to take the money, especially when you don't have much to start out with. So where did that decision kind of lead you to? It was one of the best decisions I think I could have ever made. And I've had to turn down a lot more than that. If I told you how much the (laughs) entire audience would all gasp at the same time. But I, you know, I'm always thinking about what's going to happen in the next 10 years, Mm -hmm. the next 20 years. Where do I see my brand? Like, who do I want to sit next to? Who do I want to, you know, have conversations with? Like, am I going to be able to build partnerships with some of the premier organizations in fashion if they see a photo with my brand on it and it has like this beer brand that's not even a great beer like splattered all (laughs) over the runway you know like it's just I just I just you know I'm always about the like think long term Mm -hmm. 
because you can make one bad decision and then that affects how people perceive your brand and it can really have a lot of consequences. Yeah, a hundred percent. So how did you end up getting in touch with some of those bigger names? Was it through an agency? Did they kind of see what you were doing and come on board? What did that look like? So it's been both in the very beginning. So I had that first meeting with Vibe and turned that down. The second year, an agency reached out to Mm -hmm. us and Target was actually opening a store in Harlem and they were doing some of the coolest activations I've ever seen a brand do, even to this day. And an activation just means experiences. Mm -hmm. And so we had a meeting with them. The meeting actually ended up happening after the second event that I did. So I didn't have any sponsors the second go up. The first two events I did with no sponsors. And so we had this conversation after the event. And once again, me and the guy at Target at the time, we just totally connected Mm -hmm. because he felt my passion for what I was doing. And I laid out the numbers for him. He could see where the problems were. And a lot of the people that he wanted to align with were people that I had on my advisory board. Mm, Yep. And so it worked out because we were going after the same influencer audience. I love that. So What are some of your tips in terms for pitching your vision? Because I think that so often, especially with creative people, we are so close to our art. It's like an extension of our souls when you're really passionate about something. And sometimes it's terrifying to put it out into the world. So what are some of the tips that you have for pursuing sponsorships or for pitching what your vision is? So I think the first thing is to know kind of, I particularly can speak to events Mm -hmm. because that's what I do. And I always say like, understand a few things about your event. First, understand how much it costs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you want to know that. And then know who your audience is. Like, who are you attracting? Like as much information as you can possibly give. Mm -hmm. Like if the people that you attract actually, let's say your average follower or audience member has like over Mm 30,000 followers. That's really important to a brand. So you want to know kind of information about your audience. You want to know where you kind of sit, like who do you sit next to in your market? Mm -hmm. Who would be considered competition for you? And then you want to make sure that you are very, very, very clear on your why. Mm -hmm. Like, because at the end of the day, that's what people are going to buy into. They're going to buy into you, like not what you do. Mm-hmm. And it took me so long to figure that out because I would always sell my company and, and, and what I was doing and instead of selling my why in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had a friend who was, she was like a vice president of marketing at Kraft. And she said to me, Brandis, you keep throwing out numbers. You keep throwing out things about the designers. People aren't going to buy that. And I was like, what do you mean? Why would they not buy, you know, into this idea that there needs to be more multicultural designers in the market? That's so important. She said, you'll be very clear about your why, but it's not necessarily going to be your why that sells them. It's going to be the passion that you have about your why. They're going to buy you. Ugh. Oh, I'm like, I, I'm all, and I, and I didn't do that. <laughs> oh, 
So how did that kind of change the way that you were pitching? Because that changes everything, even when you're likely doubting that. Because I think for so many of us, it's like we don't feel interesting enough or unique enough or talented enough that people would actually care about us, which is why we lean on those more tangible things. But how did that transform the way you approached partnerships? It transformed everything, Jenna, because I stopped showing up to meetings. Honestly, I used to show up to meetings so buttoned up (laughs) with all of my facts and figures and everything laid out. And, you know, the entire time, as soon as I got to the meeting, I was just waiting on my opportunity to whip out my proposal and start going through it. Mm -hmm. Right. And once I realized that people were going to buy me first, I don't even whip out that proposal until they ask for it. There's been a time when I've had an entire breakfast with a very large brand. And the first thing I do is ask about them. How did they get to where they're going? You know, what are their interests? And I'm trying to find like ways that were similar. Oh, you have a daughter. Oh, I have a daughter too. Oh, you're from so-and-so. Oh, you like dance. Oh, I like dance too. And just give us some type of common ground Mm -hmm. where we can actually connect as humans before we ever talk business. Amen. I think that it all comes back to connection. And sometimes I think we sell the wrong connection points, you know? Yes. The biggest connection point for sales for anything is going to be you first. You have to connect with that person in a way that even if they buy nothing from you, if they never sponsor you, you can actually call them again and just say, hey, let's go have lunch. Mm -hmm. Like you want to build that type of connection because once people buy into what you do, for example, I've had brands who bought into me. And so they really like love what I was doing with Harlem's Fashion Row at the time. And so they came on board as a really large sponsor for Harlem's Fashion Row. And then their focus changed with their company. And they said, Brandis, I can't sponsor. Unfortunately, I can't sponsor Harlem's Fashion Row. We don't really have a fashion focus. We're not really playing in this space anymore. And I said, oh, that's okay. I actually have a podcast called The Great Girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, tell us more about that. (laughs) And so then they end up coming on as a sponsor for The Great Girlfriends. Mm -hmm. But had I only sold my company and not myself, and had I not built a relationship with them, I wouldn't have been able to transfer that sponsorship from one brand that I was working on to another. I love you for this because we talk about a lot on this show why it's important to build a brand and not just a business. And I think brands can pivot and businesses can't. Businesses are based on a product or a service and brands are a personality. And so I love that you're saying this because it is so, so true. So I want you to paint the picture of what Harlem's Fashion Row looks like today because you've given us such an honest look at the way that it started, but how has it changed? Well, it's changed quite a bit. (laughs) There's no more wet paint. You know, I'm so proud of where we are right now. We just celebrated 10 years last year. So we added a new component to our events where we honor different style influencers, multicultural style influencers, or people who are opening doors for them. Mm -hmm. And so we honored Spike Lee last year for everything he's done in costume. And he's honestly provided so many opportunities to multicultural costume designers. Shioma Nanti, who's a editor at Vogue magazine, we honored her. And then we honored Claire Somers, who has one of the largest multicultural fashion blocks in the world. 
And so we've grown quite a bit. We've worked <laughs> with several celebrities. We've also honored Tracy Ellis Ross and Swiss Beats and Beverly Johnson and Tyson Beckford, Elaine Waterroth, who just left Team Vogue. And we've been able to build some really great partnerships in the media space, which has been awesome and still, you know, working to build even more relationships in the sponsorship space with brands. So that piece, you know, now it's not so much of a pitch anymore with brands because they know who we are. They're very familiar. Usually if I don't know them directly, someone that I know knows them Mm -hmm. directly. And so it's, you know, that groundwork is so important because it does make things so much easier. We've shown over 50 multicultural designers thus far. We've shown in LA, New York, Miami, Bentonville, Memphis, and maybe missing a couple cities that we've shown in. And it's just been a really incredible experience. I believe now I've worked with maybe 40 brands, maybe 30 or 40 brands at this point. So it's been quite a journey to get here, but I love it because now I'm actually able to share, you know, everything I've learned with others. I love that. So let's talk about what was your biggest win of your career when it came down to landing a sponsor? What was that like pinch me? I don't think I'm going to sleep for a week kind of feeling. And how did that shake out? So in 2015, I decided that I, though I had only visited LA twice in my entire (laughs) life, I decided that we really needed to have a presence in LA. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do a show in LA next year. I didn't know who was going to pay for this, what sponsor I was going to bring on board. And I said, in addition to that, and (laughs) so I'm going to do LA, (laughs) New York, and I want to do an HBCU tour. Oh and so for those of you who don't know, that's a historically black colleges and universities. I was like, I want to go to like five schools and do panels there and bring really amazing people to come and speak to them and let them know what's available for them in fashion. So that entire thing cost probably maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars. Oh <laughs> so my gosh. to produce all of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pocket change. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And that year, we were actually able to bring on sponsorships for the entire, for everything, for both the LA and New York events, which happened in February and September, along with our entire tour. It was probably still one of, it's still one of my pinch me moments because I just can't believe how we were able to pull that off. That is amazing. So on the flip side of that, for my own curiosity's sake, when was a moment or take me back to a time where you just wanted to quit? Like it was so hard or you lost your fire or anything like that? Because I think we all have those, especially in 10 years time as an entrepreneur. I mean, Jenna, honestly, <laughs> I've had hundreds of those. Like, I don't know anyone who has not had. I mean, I've had hundreds of those moments. I mean, the very first event was definitely one. There were times when I said, you know, this is just too hard. Like, what was I thinking? I'm in over my head. I mean, what in the world would make me think I could even do this? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to quit several times, but I had too many people invested to quit. (laughs) And even last year for our 10th year, it was really tough. I end up securing sponsorships for that event. I mean, I'm talking 
maybe a month before some of it mm-hmm. and everything ended up working out really well, but I didn't want to quit then, but it was really tough. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of moments when I've just said, am I supposed to be doing this? Is this the right <laughs> thing? This is so hard. You know, there's a lot of rejection in sponsorship mm-hmm. and, you know, it takes a while to get to a place where you understand that that rejection isn't about you. Mm-hmm. And so it's taken me a lot of growth in myself to be okay with with being rejected and and understanding that that's actually a part of the process. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips on that? Because I think that, you know, especially when you have a platform like you do and you have this success, I think that so many people paint this picture that everything is perfect and we never hear the word no do you have any advice when it comes to that? Because I'm a big heart girl. I know you, I can feel your heart. And especially because you're so passionate. What do you do to to overcome those no's and to really remind yourself of your worth and your value? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I have books that I read that are very helpful. I try to take the emotions out of it by making it a numbers game. So I'll say, okay, I know that if I need $100,000 for this event, let's say I'm going to bring on five sponsors at $20,000 each, and I'll literally make it a numbers game. So what if only 5% confirms? If only 5% confirms, how many people do I need to go out to? And so I'll just kind of say, okay, well, I need to like totally increase the amount knowing, like anticipating the nose, right? Being prepared for it. And I'll send enough so that I understand that the nose is just a part of the game. And I'm just looking for my yes. Gold Diggers, this episode is brought to you by Lola. This company is founded by women for women. Lola is a brand of feminine products that are 100% organic cotton. Not so fun fact, the FDA doesn't require typical feminine products to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients so that users have no idea what they are exposing their body to. But Lola is changing all of that. I personally love Lola because I find peace about what I put into my body. Their organic bpa tampons are delivered right to my door. And for every purchase, Lola donates feminine care products to homeless shelters all across the U.S. How cool is that? For 40% off of your first order, visit mylola.com and enter Gold Digger when you subscribe. That's mylola.com and enter Gold Digger. Oof, I love that. That is so good. Reverse engineering things like that makes it a lot more like you're, you know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Totally. Absolutely. Okay. I want to pivot for a moment and talk about your podcast, the Great Girlfriends podcast. This yes. is not on our questions, but I want to know where this came to be, where that passion came from and what it was like to kind of transition into kind of a new space. Yes. So Sybil, my co-host and co-founder, Sybil Amuti, and I had been friends for years. The funny thing is we're actually both from Memphis, but we didn't know each other in Memphis. We actually (laughs) met each other in New York through a friend that's from Chicago. But we connected and we were just always, you know, there for each other. Those times when I did want to give up with Harlem's mm-hmm. fashion or things were becoming too difficult or, or what I thought was too difficult at the time. And we would just talk to each other and, and really kind of be a safe space for one another. 
And last, maybe, no, it was 2015, we had this rest, same restaurant we go to all the time, order the same thing. And we were there, we were talking, and she was at a place where she felt like she was getting ready to pivot as well. And she, she was with a company that she had literally been with the company since it was founded. Wow. Said, but I feel like, you know, and she had done the, all this amazing work. She had worked with Tony Robbins and Sony and, and, you know, and she was like, but I feel like it's time for me to shift. And mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And so we got to talking and I said, you know, I just feel like there's so many lessons I've learned and I just want to share it all. And Mm -hmm. she said, I feel the same way. And we both had a heart for mentoring and sharing. And neither one of us was afraid to tell, you know, the things that don't look so pretty in our lives. (laughs) (laughs) We were both very open and we said, you know, I feel like there's a place that's missing for honest and vulnerable talk, which is why I love your podcast so much, mm-hmm. Jenna. But we felt like there was a place missing. And so we were like, okay, well, I said, I actually have a mic because I thought about doing a podcast. I said, I actually bought a mic and I think we could use GarageBand. Yes. Um, what do you think people want to hear? <laughs> so we just kind of started asking, you know, people, literally strangers, like what they wanted to hear and what was missing and what they wanted to talk about. And so we really used that platform as a way to take all of our life experiences and everything that we've learned in life, love, laughter, work, entrepreneurship, and we share it and we bring other people on to share their stories. I love that. What is your favorite part of podcasting? Because I feel like, podcasters unite in such an interesting way. I know for me, I never planned on this show becoming what it has become is more just like this soul journey that I wanted to take people on. So what's your favorite part? I think, okay, so I'll tell you two. So one is that I get a chance to meet people who I probably would have never met had it not been for being a podcaster that I know for sure, like some of the most incredible women. And then I think the second thing is, I love the fact that what I think will be archived forever, mm-hmm. like what I feel about life and relationships and friendships and my nieces and nephews and daughter will all be able to kind of pull that up, you know, 30 mm-hmm. years from now um, is something that I, I just feel like it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving. I love it. It's like preserving (laughs) your legacy in like a tangible way. And it's so funny, too, because like we look back on like VHS tapes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, thank God podcasts live on the cloud because I feel like the cloud is not going anywhere. I don't think it's going anywhere. I hope <laughs> not. <at> least. <laughs> so right. let's talk about just your journey as a woman in general. And tell me a little bit about Brandis 10 years ago to who Brandis is today. Brandis 10 years ago was dancing on couches in New York City. <laughs> Seriously. I knew I loved you. <laughs> Seriously. Throwing some of the best, most amazing house parties. Matter of fact, we used to call our house party the hottest Harlem house party is what we used to call it. So, I mean, I was just having fun. Like New York was a dream for me to move here. You know, I didn't know anyone in my life who had ever moved to New York. So I didn't know anyone here. So it was literally, I was like living in my dream 10 years ago. I was just getting ready to start Harlem's Fashion Row, which I had no idea the journey that I was about to embark upon. And I had actually just started to date my husband 10 years ago. (laughs) 
and and life was good. Like I I have enjoyed every step of this journey. Mm-hmm. Like every step of it, I've always pretty much been the same person at the core. I don't, I don't know. I'm just excited about the whole thing, Jenna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so who are you today? I just feel like you're so full of life. I feel like you've learned so much and you have this heart for sharing. Tell us kind of like what an average day looks like for you. I am now hugely into podcasts and books. Mm -hmm. I have become over the last 10 years, honestly, more like the last year, probably three years, a really huge entrepreneur nerd. All of my friends are sick of me, like recommending books to them (laughs) and podcasts to them. I honestly love talking about business and But I also like, I love doing the very simple things. So, you know, I'm going to Miami this weekend and my biggest plan for Miami is to just sit by the ocean. That's all I want to do. I'm a March baby. I'm a Pisces. So I love the water. The average day for me now, I have an 8 a.m. call in the morning with my interns. And then when I get off that call, I kind of get started. I have every one of my days are kind of themed. I have a theme days. And so Mondays is my great girlfriend's day. Tuesday is when I work on sponsorship. You know, Wednesday, I'm working on events. So every day is kind of themed and mapped out for me because that kind of serves as a boss mm-hmm. for myself. If I don't have a boss, I make my <laughs> schedule my boss. <laughs> oh, I love that. I have a question then. If you love books, give us the best three books you've read lately. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the I'm going to give you my favorite book of all time. Okay. That is In the Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by Mark Batterson. Okay. That is my favorite book of all times. The last two books that I've read that I love is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Okay. You're in business and any business, I don't care what it is, you have to read this book. Like it is an absolute must. And I think the other book that I've read that I love is Launch by Jeff Walker. Yeah, I've read that one. I am going to order the other two. We'll link those up in the show notes too at jennacutcherblog.com slash Brandis. Thank you. People are always asking me about what books I read and I actually just read for pleasure. I have to listen to like business books on audio because... I get like, they're too dry for me sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) But no, I love hearing what people are reading. I think it's amazing. So here are a few final questions. I could talk to you forever. I'm like, looking at the clock. I'm like, can we just keep this thing going? Like how long yes, can we roll? Can, yes. Um, talk as long as we I love it. So is there anything in particular you do or make an effort to do in order to get yourself or your business seen by the right people? Yes. So, well, I have a publicist. Okay. That's one. So for our events, I've had a publicist since my very first event. I love it. So the very, I like highly recommend it. And you don't, once again, it can be a trade, Mm -hmm. you know, you can find a publicist who's just starting out, someone who's looking to get their feet wet, but that's one of the things that I've done. And then the other thing that I've done, which is a little trick and it works really well, is that I've hosted lunches or dinners or breakfasts throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And I'll host them at like really amazing venues. And then I'll invite some of the most influential people in media to those events. So I have it at a place that they really can't deny. And that's been really helpful for me. I love it. I'm going to say this with the most respect ever. You have balls. Like I love (laughs) that you just do that and put yourself on the line 
Like, just thinking about you sending breakfast to this guy who's not returning your emails makes my heart so happy because this is the difference between somebody that's successful and somebody that's not. The people would have given up. Like, they would have just stopped and said, oh, my gosh, I'm just annoying him now. And you find a solution and you invest in it. And I think that when you invest in yourself, people are going to invest in you. Don't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, those breakfasts, Jenna, those are breakfasts that I pay for. Yeah. Like, you know, that's but, awesome. You know, but if it's like, we're going to spend that money anyway, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't go out and I'm not buying actually luxury bags. Mm-hmm. You know, any luxury bag I have in my closet, someone's bought it for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm very conscious of where I spend my money. And I would rather spend it in investing in my business than investing in, you know, the next hottest dress. Well, and you're giving people an experience right off the bat. Like, I think that that's so powerful. Like when I go to events and they hand you like goodie bags, I usually don't want them because I have enough stuff. But we all know, like, you need to eat. Everyone has to eat at some point in the day. And I just think it's so incredible to hear the way that you reached out and were so bold in stepping into that because I think that is so inspiring. Well, thank you so much. And anybody can do it Mm -hmm. in any city that you're in because the trick is the venue. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that is the trick. The trick is the venue that you decide on. It needs to be a place where people want to go, but they haven't gotten a chance to go there yet or they think it's too expensive. That's why you don't do dinner. You need to do breakfast (laughs) or lunch because they're much cheaper. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So what is the dream for your business? What, What are you working towards and fired up about today? So the dream for my business is to increase multicultural designers in the market and to create a model that is profitable for them. And so I'm actually reworking my business model after reading E-Myth Revisited. Awesome. I'm reworking my business model and it'll look quite different over the next, not very different, but it'll look a little different over the next two years. And I'm really excited about that because I'm actually going to have a way for people to actually purchase from the runway as a part of the event. So I'm really excited about that. That's amazing. That's really innovative too. I like this. What can you leave our listeners with as the single best piece of advice that you can give them today? So when I was about 15, 16, my aunt, I have an aunt who she's not afraid of anything. She'll ask anybody for anything. (laughs) And she would say to my cousin and I to go ask people for some of the things that I just thought was the craziest things. Like a store would close at nine. We would see them lock the door and she'd say, go in and see if they'll let you, if they'll like extend their hours for another 10 minutes so that you can pick out, you know, a pair of earrings. (laughs) And I would say, no, I'm not going to go and ask them that. And she would make us, she would say, no, you have to go. All they can say is yes or no. But if you don't Mm -hmm. ask, the answer is automatically no. Mm -hmm. And so I've taken that with me my entire life. You can always ask. The answer can only be yes or no. But if you don't ask, the answer is automatically no. 
That is the perfect advice to close this off. Where can everybody find you? And listeners, please go check out her podcast, Great Girlfriends Podcast. Huge fan. And I just think that there is so much space for us women to come together to celebrate each other. So where can everybody connect with you? Thank you so much, Jenna. Everyone can connect with me on my social. You can go to Brandis Daniel. I'm pretty much Brandis Daniel on everything. The Great Girlfriends is just The Great Girlfriends. If you want to check out the work that I do, actually, if you go to Brandis Daniel, you'll see both links for Harlem's Fashion Row and The Great Girlfriends. If someone's interested in sponsorship, they can go to mysponsoredbook.com. Love it. And they can get actually a free book there. They'll just have to pay for shipping and handling. And that literally lays out my entire blueprint. I am doing it and getting it today. I love that. Thank you for coming on and sharing your heart and your energy. This is absolutely a pleasure. And I'm already excited to listen to this show back. Is that not weird? (laughs) Well, I'm going to come to New York and get breakfast with you. All right. (laughs) Deal. Thank you so much, Brandis. Wow. What an amazing guest Brandis was. Oh, my gosh. There are so many takeaways I got from her show, so many ways I was inspired by her. I feel like so often we think no means never, but maybe it just means not now or it's not a fit right now. I think that what I love about her is her perseverance and her way to just show up. I mean, that woman is just gutsy, and I think we could all embrace a little bit more of that into our lives. I also loved how she described the feeling of really fulfilling that vision of standing in a miracle. And I think that when we really step into who we are and what we want to do in this world, that's exactly what it feels like. I know that I got goosebumps when she said that because there's something so pure, so raw about really fulfilling what we feel called to fulfill. And I know that Brandis isn't done yet. And I know that we will never be done. And I'm just so excited to continue to watch her journey unfold. If you have a few minutes today, would you hop on over and just encourage Brandis? I know that while she has done so much and she is so inspiring, I know that sometimes our inspires need to just hear from you, to know that their voice matters. And so let's do that as a community to encourage and support her. I'm so grateful for her sharing her voice and her work with us today. And until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.